Hello and welcome to a lazy late summer episode of Cloud Ninefin, the podcast where we take refuge from the punishing humidity of August in New York City by sitting in an air-conditioned recording studio to talk about the debt capital markets. I'm Will Cager Smith, and today I'm on the line with my colleague William Hoffman, who is actually based in Ohio. So, what's your weather report, William? You know, it's oddly cold here. It's like low 60s, but I'm headed to Vegas tomorrow, and uh, here it's going to be in the hundreds. So, looking forward to that. Extremely jealous of your oddly, uh, unseasonably cold late summer's day. Um, all right. So, without further ado, it is the week before Labor Day. So in today's episode, we're going to run through the primary issuance pipeline for September. Um, everyone that we've talked to lately seems pretty jazzed about the supply that's expected to hit the market next week, um, especially compared to this time last year when things were a, a little bit a little bit difficult. I guess you could say things have improved quite a lot by, by this point, although by historical standards, it might not be the kind of... Uh, you know, the September pipeline that we're, we're used to seeing. Um, but William, maybe you can set the scene for why people are kind of so so excited about next month in terms of the, the issuance calendar. Yeah, it's been, you know, surprisingly a strong summer for issuance in, in capital markets, uh, both on the bonds and loan side. So maybe let's start with the bonds. Um, you know, metal manufacturer Arconic, uh, it's take private uh, buyout in late July. Seemed to really be a bellwether deal for their, uh, it was a bellwether deal that really proved that the market was uh, ready for these sponsored backed LBOs, uh, you know, mm-hmm. kind of proved that they could price. Um, so that basically allowed, you know, others to come in. We saw uh, the the debt for Tenneco, the auto, auto parts maker, uh, you know, the, the, the debt that those banks were holding. Uh, they decided to come to market and that deal, you know, it wasn't exactly a home run. Uh, there was a lot of wrangling around the docks and, um, you know, this pricing and such, but, you know, ultimately it got done. And I think that kind of both of those deals in, in combination kind of gave a lot of confidence that that kind of LBO M&A paper can get done in this market, that there's a lot of mm-hmm. demand on the on the investor side. Um, mm-hmm. So that's on the that, that was mainly on the on the bond side. Right. Um, although Teneco, I think, had, had a loan piece as well, um, but definitely kind of definitely showed that there's some pretty strong demand among bond investors. So what about the loan side of things? Yeah, both of those deals actually had a loan component to them as well. So some of those trends kind of carried over. But really what was uh, so dominating in the loan space was just all of the refinancings and repricings that were being done this summer. It was just kind of like one after another and kind of like all glommed into one. So, you know, I think there was some reprieve there that we saw those those LBO deals. Um, a couple other ones that were just loan only, you know, Barnes Group's acquisition of MB Aero, Aerospace mm-hmm. and Michael Baker International's acquisition of Tidal Basin. You know, those kind of brought some much needed uh, new money uh, injected into the market. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there was, yeah, there was definitely a lot of pent up demand because all of the supply previous to that had been dominated by refinancings. And- yeah. And then on top of that, the the Fed is, um, you know, still talking about raising rates. Um, you know, spreads are basically at their, their tights for the year or, or close to it. And, um, you know, so if a company has M&A financing or buyout debt or a refinancing to do, you know, it might only get more expensive from here mm-hmm. on out. Yeah. So good backdrop. Um, and a relatively full slate uh, for new issuance. So let's run through the deals one by one that are kind of expected to come, not all of them next month, but certainly starting next month. Um, I guess the biggest one 
as of right now at least is probably WorldPay, which is being spun out to private equity firms by FIS Global. So what can you tell us about that one? Yeah, this is kind of a, a fun one from my perspective, just because I was covering investment grade credit back when these two combined in 2019. Mm-hmm. And, you know, going through all the promises they had about, you know, consolidating the payment space and, um, you know, uh, you know, how how they were going to just take over, you know, from from all these other competitors that were in the space and, and make this behemoth, you know, all those things didn't really work out. You know, clearly they're they're splitting up at this point. So, um, yeah, it was a big, big sort of big bull market deal, right? Yeah, it's a big bull market deal. I mean, it was like 43 billion was the original tie up. And now we're mm-hmm. gonna we're gonna unwind it all. So, you know, we're expecting about $8.5 billion of debt um, to get syndicated in this one, you know, split across bonds and loans. Um, I think what's it'll be interesting to kind of see the details of exactly how these companies are split up, like what parts stay with FIS, what parts go to WorldPay. Um, you know, typically in these these LBO deals, we're talking about cost savings from getting rid of finance departments, but I guess WorldPay is going to have to build up a new one. Um, so, you know, it's a little bit different than maybe some of the other LBO deals we've seen in the market lately. Um, yeah, I mean, four years ago, they convinced investors that a $43 billion tie-up was the best thing for this industry. And now they have to turn around and unwind it all and convince investors once again that this is the right move. Yeah, that definitely a... <laughs> An interesting one to to kind of look at in terms of the historical context. Um, the other thing I guess that's interesting about this deal is that it's a big win for the syndicated credit markets. JP Morgan is leading the underwritten debt package. And I guess because of the size of this deal, it maybe would have been a little hard for private credit to do, but there's been so much talk about private credit kind of eating the bank's lunch that, you know, it, even if private credit might not have taken this one, I know a lot of bankers are feeling pretty happy about any kind of LBO mandate that they pick up on this one. And the fees on this one, given the size, should be pretty substantial. Yeah, it's a good win for them and one of the bigger LBO deals of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So next up, we've got Vistra and Energy Harbor. I guess payments isn't a hugely exciting industry, but I feel like utility companies are even less so. So maybe you can convince me otherwise. Why is this deal interesting? Yeah, I don't know how much convincing I can do, but you know, as a resident of Northeast Ohio, um, I believe Energy Harbor has been my electric provider at you know previous houses and apartments I've lived in. Um, You're too close to the story. I know, I know, I'm, I'm, I'm biased. Need to, in this need to one. recuse yourself. <laughs> uh, yeah, Vistra stepping in to acquire Harbor on this one. Uh, they have some natural gas and nuclear assets that uh, the company really values, so that's going to be the the main uh, sticking point here. Uh, it's a $5.5 billion debt package, um, and it should really benefit from the stability that comes with, you know, being a stable, highly regulated electric utility with, you know, double B ratings. Um, you know, Energy Harbor was even on track to become an investment grade company uh, before this acquisition. Um, Fitch actually reversed a, a upgrade to IG that they had uh, once the acquisition was announced. Yeah, and actually having said that utility companies are boring basically i should probably note that it's actually very topical right now especially given the the devastating fire in hawaii just a few weeks ago um there's a a kind of increasing focus from regulators on utility companies not just for um anti-competition or or whatever those kind of issues but also for potential liabilities and the growing amount of wildfires that seem to be happening in the US. Yeah, regulators are stepping in in this case. Uh, just last week, we saw the DOJ taking a closer look at this combination. 
uh, they're basically worried that the merger could cause prices to rise for customers in the area. Um, you know, I'm not a current uh, customer <laughs> of uh, Energy Harbor, but I certainly wouldn't want my bill to go up so I can understand why they're looking at it. Um, you know, it, it certainly looks like uh, regulatory overhang is going to be, um, it, it's going to need to be resolved before the banks can really uh, syndicate this debt. Uh, and given the current environment, uh, they would certainly like to see it resolved sooner rather than later. Right, yeah, because who knows whether the market's going to be there in the same way that it is right now in, in a few months' time. Um, okay, so cool. You, you convinced me that that deal is, is worth caring about. Um, and then the other one that's interesting is Sinios Health. So that is a big slug of, of LBO paper um we've covered that a lot but maybe you can set the scene there yeah Sidious health is uh being acquired by elliot patient square and uh veritas for 7.1 billion dollars uh the debt package is expected to include 2.2 billion dollars of loans and 1.5 billion dollars of bonds it's also a 500 million dollar mm -hmm. revolver um so this is one of those deals that looked at the other lbo you know debt getting done over the summer your your tenecos and um you know, really kind of want to jump into to the market as well. Um, but I know that you reported that that timeline kind of came too tight. And now they're looking for more of a post Labor Day launch. Yeah, I think that was kind of an early thing that early on in the in, in the life of this, this LBI financing, uh, the expectation was that it was going to be syndicated during the summer, but then it quite quickly switched to a, a post Labor Day launch. Um, and Goldman, which is the lead underwriter here has been pre-marketing this deal for a couple of weeks now and from our sources in the underwriter group and on the buy side it sounds like so far demand for the the bond component has actually been pretty strong so they're they're kind of floating pricing in the low nine percent area which is well inside the 11 percent caps in the commitment letter i mean i don't think anyone was hugely concerned that uh that this deal was going to risk going past the caps or anything like that um but yeah it, it definitely doesn't seem like there's any chance of the not any chance i should say but much chance of the banks taking any losses here um the syndication yeah backdrop famous is, last words yeah exactly yeah so the syndication backdrop is is pretty strong so far although it's not ideal that for Treya, which spun out from LabCorp early this year and is a, a comp for Cineos, um for Treya put out some some pretty underwhelming earnings recently um so that could theoretically impact investor sentiment around Cineos, but overall it doesn't seem like there's too much concern that the, the Cineos debt syndication is going to be impacted. Um, anyway, so moving on, next up we have Simon and Schuster. Yeah, this is another spin-out deal, um, which is something that's really becoming more more popular lately, these like spin-outs rather than combinations. But right. uh, you know, Paramount, uh, the company formerly known as Paramount CBS, the company formerly known as Viacom, uh, it's had a few <laughs> names. Uh, more more rebrandings than HBO Max. Right, right, right in, right in the same <laughs> vein. Um, you know, basically, they have bigger fish to fry right now. Uh, they're, um, you know, they're trying to figure out where their streaming service Paramount Plus uh, fits into this new kind of digital media landscape alongside Netflix and your HBOs and max whatever we're calling it and um you know essentially they'd like to move on from you know a book publisher like simon and schuster okay so so out of uh paper media and focusing kind of like you know uh full on on digital media yeah out with the old and with the new right so you know they, they tried to do that a little bit with the sale uh with the sale of simon schuster to penguin random house last year but regulators blocked that that transaction 
um, mm-hmm. you know, too much consolidation in, in one space. So now they're turning to KKR, uh, which is stepping up with the take private deal. Um, that shouldn't receive as much scrutiny given that KKR doesn't own any other publishers in this portfolio. So Jeffries is leading uh, the underwritten debt package on this one. Uh, should be around $1.1 billion of term loan debt, uh, which will lever the company to around four to five times, uh, is kind of what sources are saying here. Um, it's still a fairly prominent name in the book publishing space. And, you know, you and I, we, we buy books, I'm sure, and, and, you know, people buy books, so it's not like digital is completely eating everything. But, you know, investors will kind of have to contend with what that future of book publishing looks like moving forward. Right. Yeah. And to your point on the leverage there, I think it'll be interesting to follow this one quite closely because, you know, KKR is buying the business. It's private equity. I'm sure there'll be plenty of ad backs that they're trying to squeeze into EBITDA. Um, so in terms of the schedule here, uh, from what we're hearing, pre-marketing for this debt is pretty much ready to go, but isn't going to start in earnest until after Labor Day. Um, but that's not to say that there might not have been action already. I mean, it's, it's perfectly possible that some kind of key investors may have already been in touch and uh, are looking to kind of um, get some some shadow orders in already. Um, so just returning to the list, we've got two other relatively large buyout financings to cover um, that could could potentially hit the market in September, but we, d- we don't quite know yet. It could be end of September, maybe early October. Yeah, these two are the last ones that could could potentially hit in September. Um, you know, uh, they're a bit on the smaller side compared to the other ones, but like you said, still relatively large. Chemical, it's a, a chemical waste company, uh, Heritage Crystal Clean. They announced that it would go private in a sale to a private equity firm, uh, JF uh, Lehman and Company. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and that'll be funded with the syndication of about $600 million of terminal B debt. Mm-hmm. And then we have Brazilian steakhouse chain Fogo de Chao. Uh, this was already in private ownership under Roan Capital, but earlier this month, Bain Capital announced it would acquire the steakhouse for around $1.1 billion. Uh, they'll look to fund the acquisition with about $550 million of uh, Terminal B paper. A tasty slice of new money issuance. Yeah, well, I went to my first Brazilian steakhouse over the summer, and uh, you know, personally, it was a little bit more meat than I needed in one meal. Um, but, you know, it's a very popular uh, uh, chain restaurant, and, you know, uh, Roan Capital's grown sales under its ownership since 2018, so there could be some demand there. I'm kind of on your side on that. I don't really get the what it is with concept steakhouses, but people just love them. It's kind of like cruises. Not my cup of tea, but each to their own, I guess. Anyway, um, to finish up, let's just do a rapid fire through the rest of the sep- potential September, maybe October, rest of the year pipeline. So first up, JetBlue. Yeah, these uh, next few are, are some that are, are probably more in line for after September. But, you know, if, it, if the market's hot enough, it could get there. So um, JetBlue, uh, you know, their $3.8 billion acquisition of Spirit, uh, that would be funded with about $3.5 billion, uh, $3.5 billion of bonds. Uh, the company mm-hmm. announced in July that it's scrapping a partnership with American Airlines in order to appease regulators and push the deal through. So that seemed to be the last kind of okay. like roadblock and uh, could... Uh, you know, reach syndication after that. Okay, we shall see. All right, and then we've got Forward Air Corporation. Yep, uh, Forward Air is combining with uh, Ridgemont Equity Partners, portfolio company Omni Logistics, 
that's uh, to create a larger freight supply chain management company, basically. Uh, that acquisition is expected to be funded with about $1.85 billion of bonds and another uh, $400 million revolver. Freight supply chain management company, almost as exciting as utilities. Um, yes. Anyway, next, Evertech. Yeah, uh, they could tap the U.S. market for a $600 million loan deal to fund its acquisition of uh, Brazilian financial services software company uh, Sinkia, I believe is how you pronounce it. Uh, okay, then we've got Gentiva. Yeah, Gentiva is acquiring uh, ProMedica's Heartland Hospice and home care locations, uh, and that one could hit the market soonish. Mm-hmm. And then finally, there's there's a big cybersecurity deal. Yeah, Thales is looking to acquire uh, another cybersecurity uh, player in the space, Imperva, uh, from Tama Bravo, in about a three point six billion dollar deal. No um, details yet on how much you know they would look to fund in the bond or loan market with that one. Um, so still a little bit further out, but um, interesting nonetheless. Okay, and finally, last but not least, let's do a quick tour through the remaining hung debt that is still on the bank's balance sheets, a lot of it from last year, and some of it even from the year before last year. Yeah, uh, you know, Twitter's the big one. Um, that's really anybody's guess. You know, when we ask banks about it, we we nearly get laughed out of the room. Um, so, you know, the banks are holding about $6 billion of bonds, $6.5 billion of loans. Um, and, you know, they're basically just nowhere close to to offloading that debt right now. And Elon Musk makes it harder every day, so... Right. And then Teneco, which is funny because we mentioned that earlier as one of the deals that actually kind of greased the wheels for this strong September, but they didn't syndicate absolutely 100% of the debt, right? There's still some of it still sitting on the, the bank's books. Yeah, technically, there's still a $1 billion slice of bonds uh, sitting on bank's books. Um, mm-hmm. You know, could they syndicate it in the, if the market gets rosier, maybe, you know, maybe private credit steps in on that one. Uh, you know, they have some other options. All right. And then another one kind of in the same vein as Teneco is Nielsen, where I think uh, the lion's share of that debt has been offloaded now um, of the, the the debt that was left on the bank's balance sheets in the form of a, a term loan, uh, term loan A slash term loan B. Um, so how much is left there to syndicate? Yeah, they have $700 million remaining in term loan B paper. Um, you know, we the the sources we talked to seemed like this is unlikely to be syndicated, but want to mention it here just because you never know. Um, they're probably more likely to try and offload this in, in private markets somehow, but yeah. um, it is still out there. Yeah, they've been selling it off in small chunks over the past few months. Um, we reported on a few of those those sales in the past. Um, okay, and then last but definitely not least, because this one has been hanging around on, on Banks Books since actually 2021. I believe. Um, that's Viasat. Yeah, it's uh, been a very rough summer for the satellite company. Um, you know, they've had two satellite malfunctions, one quite larger than the other, uh, the first one, um, which really delayed the syndication. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nonetheless, they just in the last week had a second malfunction. So, um, so you know, winds aren't <laughs> blowing in the right direction for that one. Um, you know, I think they're, they've had earnings, um, and I think they were generally positive uh in terms of the direction of the company but nonetheless uh a big satellite malfunction is not what you want to see going into um a debt syndication and i think they still needs to uh 
give some more guidance around, you know, future satellite launches, which could be coming before the end of the year as well. So this is looking more like an end of the year, you know, maybe fourth quarter um, kind of syndication, but it's definitely a big one that's still out there. Right. Well, at least they managed to spread the satellite failures across the two companies, Viasat, one at Viasat and one at Inmarsat. So um, no one feels left out. <laughs> anyway, that's our whistle-stop tour of what's to come in Leverage Finance. We'll hold off on covering the private credit pipeline because it's growing every day and that would take us another half hour probably. But stay tuned for our coverage of those deals and the ones that we just talked about over the next few weeks. And thanks for all your help, William. Yeah, thanks. All right. Well, that's it from us this week. Thanks again for listening and please get in touch with any feedback. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, but don't forget to check in with our London colleagues next Thursday for the latest on European markets. Until then, take care and enjoy the holiday. Catch you again soon.